sermons. Hopefully you brought your Bible because we're in church. So uh, flip over to James chapter 4. But if you didn't, fear not. Here we go. Use your phenomenal eyesight. You know, like, like I was saying, you know, <laughs> James is challenging. All right? It's very challenging. He, it's a super, super practical book. Uh, James doesn't uh, hold back any punches. He just throws them. And, and uh, chapter 4, in some sense, is a culmination of something he's been working on, I, I would think, all the way since chapter 2 uh, or even chapter 1. You know? and I, even you think back to chapter 1 of James, uh, one of the more famous passages that a lot of people are familiar with with James is this idea that, that James says, when you read the Bible, what's like looking at yourself in a mirror? And, and he warns us, hey, don't look at yourself, forget what you look like, and go about doing whatever. Uh, You've got to keep looking intently into that perfect law that gives freedom. And one thing James, uh, I think, has been doing uh, is, is forcing us to look at ourselves. You know, deeper and deeper and deeper. Uh, and that can be quite confronting. But again, it's purposeful in his endeavor. And, and, like, and as, as promised, uh, chapter 4 gets kind of to the heart of the matter. And so let's read here chapter 4, all the way there, 1 to, uh, to 12. He poses a question, right? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask God, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves into God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge a law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Wow. Confronting, right? Uh, let's have a prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll dig into this and feel the pain together. Amen? Uh, Father, we, uh, you know, we do thank you for James, God. We, we know that there are times in our lives, uh, seasons in our life, where we do need uh, just straight truth, uh, not mixed uh, with sweet words usually uh, to, to take. But, you know, we, we do appreciate that aspect of James. We do pray, God, you help us, God, as we look at a, a you know, very confronting passage, God, as we talk about the, uh, the topic of pride, God. Do you, you help us, God. Help us to understand that the seriousness of what is at stake, to not allow, you know, ourselves to deceive ourselves, to not allow our pride to, to blind ourselves, God. But we do pray that your spirit can open up the eyes of our hearts and, and force us to see ourselves in light of your word and, 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 and your plan and, and you know, your design for how life uh, works, God, and how we flourish and, and how we really do uh, live in a way that, that reflects your image to one another and, 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 and to the lost world, God. And we pray you help us, God. Help us to you know, learn how, how to walk in a way that, that, that is humble before you and before one another, God. Help us in that endeavor. Uh, be with us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Awesome. It, look, it's great. It's a great passage, and we all love it. Amen? Uh, he does pose that question, okay? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Uh, and if you've been in church for like half a second in your life, uh, you hopefully know the answer, and the answer is pride, right? And, and we'll get there, you know, but we'll talk, talk about two of the causes that, that, that James puts, puts in uh, with a little like preface on, on conflict itself, and then we'll look at, at some positive things that close out there on the cure, uh, and so that's the outline, amen? amen? And you think about conflict, okay? And, and conflict is, is inevitable, all right? Uh, 
interesting, James uh, is not advocating here uh, avoid all conflicts. Right? He doesn't want us to learn how to be peacemakers. Uh, but James understands, uh, and, and like I said earlier, this idea that, that when we look at the Bible, we're going to see stuff in, in, our, in ourselves. Right? And we're going to see stuff that, that's not good, that's ugly, that's confronting, and, uh, and even evil. And, and that's a necessary uh, you know, process. You know? but, but conflict does the same thing. Right? I mean, we always, Michelle and I always, because uh, we work with a lot of young people, and we, uh, you know, sometimes young people say funny things. Just like when we were all young, we said funny things, right? You know, and, and uh, 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 you know, in all of us, you know, when we're, when we're in our early 20s, uh, and we're growing spiritually, and life's good. We, you know, we think uh, that we're really selfless. And then you get married, and you realize, man, you either realize your wife is really selfish, or your spouse, which is usually the wrong conclusion. <laughs> but hopefully, eventually, you realize that that you yourself are really selfish. Uh, and then, you know, you have a few years of marriage, you think, oh, I think I got this selflessness down, I'm getting better. And then you have kids, and you realize, oh, gosh, I'm really selfish. And it, deeper and deeper it pushes you, you know. But, uh, but, but the conflict of, of marriage specifically, and even by extension, family and kids, and even wider extension, church community, uh, is, is helpful. Because it's fertile ground for conflict. And conflict isn't necessarily good, but conflict is useful. We do a lot of premarital counseling, you know, and, and one of the things we talk a lot about in premarital counseling uh, is uh, that, that fighting, learning to fight, fighting fair, fighting righteously, having conflict is important. It was Franzi's favorite session, right? <laughs> and that's why you guys are on opposite sides of the room. <laughs> I even have your wedding picture in the slides later, you know, but, they're not surely not fighting, right? But maybe you are, and maybe this will help. But you know, it, it, learning to fight is good because fighting in, in anger specifically, it, it brings stuff out of our hearts. It exposes us, you know. Uh, Stefan er, earlier referenced those two guys in the Old Testament. Can't remember their names, you know, Cain, <laughs> Cain and Abel, uh, you know. And someone shout out which one because they are very different and important to understand the difference, you know. But uh, Cain gets angry. And I love that text, and, and, and I love how God comes to Cain and asks him, why are you angry? He doesn't come to him and say, hey, stop being angry. Bottle it up. Why are you angry? Something's bubbling within you, Cain. You better think about it. Better recognize it. You, you for sure better learn to master it. Because it's a predatory animal. I mean, it says sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must master it. This is dangerous. A predatory animal crouching is going to devour you. But, but Cain, you have a choice. You can figure out what's going on. You can see yourself clearly and change, or it's going to overtake you. Cain, of course, doesn't respond. <laughs> and before we know it, Abel's dead. Right? But like we sing about, Abel's blood still cries out, right, in some sense. Um, but, but it is interesting, you know. And, and, and in this text, I want to encourage us to, to understand that. As James poses this question of what causes fights and quarrels among us, he is doing that. He's taking the mirror, and he is almost like grabbing our heads and, and peeling open our eyes and forcing us to look deeper and deeper. Because if in, if in the midst of conflicts we can learn to do that, instead of transfixing ourselves on the other party, but instead look at ourselves, that is fertile ground for growth. Fertile ground for transformation. right? And something that's negative in terms of conflict can actually become a positive in terms of producing change. Amen? Uh, and like I said, he's been poking at this idea throughout. right? Con you know, Putting before us the conflicts of faith, of faith right? Uh, is it a living faith or is it a dead faith? You know, he's, he's poked at us, this, this inner conflict that comes out of the spring of our heart where with our tongues we sing all these great songs on, on Sundays and, you know, maybe even sing them during the week. But then you also say some pretty wicked thing about people sometimes. Again, there's a conflict, right? And last week we, we talked a little bit about this idea that he, he, he's poking at in chapter 3 of fresh water, salt water can't come from the same springs. Again, what's he trying to get you to do? Think deeper. 
And then last week, he poked at this idea of, of we, we all operate according to wisdom, a way of life, a way of doing life that we think is good. And, and there's a real one from God. And there's this quote-unquote wisdom that's fake, that's from the world, you know. And, and, and one takes conflict and, and ends in peace because we become peacemakers who sow peace uh, and reap a harvest of righteousness. And righteousness for James is not just righteousness between God, meaning we're at harmony with God and reconciled to God, but also to one another, right? And, 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 and James is saying that. Look, that, that, that's, God's wisdom produces that. But, but where conflict really becomes bad is when it just becomes perpetual and never-ending because we don't ever look at ourselves. We don't look into the mirror and see the depths of our soul that's being exposed to this anger and this, and this conflict, and we just get caught in this endless cycle that repeats itself, and it's like Groundhog Day, you know? And have you, you ever seen Groundhog Day? Yeah. Great movie, Lonnie. you got to watch it, right? It, great spiritual lessons in it, and... And, and, you know, like all movies, I love spoiling movies, you know. And, you know, I mean, he go, you know, you can just re- watch it, okay? Watch it. Have a quiet time on Groundhog Day and think about it, right? But it's this perpetual sense of being stuck in the same cycle, and it leads to despair, right? And at one point, he does. He steps in front of a bus, and that's like my favorite part, and he just stands there like that and lets the bus run him over. But he wakes up, okay? Keeps going every day, same day, right? You understand, watch the movie, right? Anyways, right? he closed out with the, the peacemakers. Again, that's, that's the end of the goal. But, but what's James doing? He's showing, look, there's two, there's two different things, guys. Two different ways of life. Two different ways of seeing yourself. Two, two different wisdoms. Two different ways to go about faith. And, 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 and you've got to look deep in your soul. You know, and I encourage you today as we talk about this conflict, you know, don't, don't walk away thinking all conflict is bad. That is fertile, fertile ground. Don't waste a good conflict. It shows you something about yourself. And it gives you an opportunity and a glimpse to change and to grow, become more like Christ, if you look at it. Amen? All right, so let's look at some of the causes that James has to say, all right? James 4, you know, there. The, the first one he puts before us is, you know, he's breaking the ice, right? You desire but do not have. And then he says, so you kill. And we think, whoa, that escalated quickly, right? Which is kind of how conflict is, isn't it, right? Something so small ends up in a huge fight, and then you wonder, what are we even fighting about anymore? I can't even remember, you know? But that's, that's a nature of, of conflict that escalates quickly, and maybe James is poking at that idea uh, with, with that, you know? But, but there when he says you desire but do not have, right? Desire. Uh, it's the Greek word from which we get hedonism or hedonism, right? Which is a philosophy of life. Uh, all about just pleasing self, right? L- you know, delight, enjoyment, pleasure, uh, personal gratification. It, it's, that's the pursuit, right? Uh, that's the aim. That's what we should do. That's how we should go after. And, it, and it's old, right? One of the oldest writings, you know, alongside the Bible uh, is that of the Epic of Gilgamesh. You guys ever read that? No, not really. It's not really like light reading, I guess. I don't know. I, I've I've read English translations, right? And it says, you know, and even in that, right, it says, fill your belly, day and night, make merry, let days be full of joy, dance and make music day and night. These things alone are the concern of men. Epic of Gilgamesh. Thousands. Perhaps 5,000, 6,000. I don't know. I mean, depending on how you date things, 10,000 years old. Have, has mankind changed? <laughs> no, we're not, not much different, right? I mean, even Jesus tells a parable in Luke 12 about a rich fool who's, who has successful business, builds bigger barns, and what does he say? Pfft, eat, drink, and be merry. Let's live life. Same thing as Epic of Gilgamesh, right? This idea of hedonism, man, it's, deep, it's deep-seated in us, right? And even, funny, one of the magazines, I think Qantas has on airplanes, right? Epicurean Magazine, right? Which comes from... Uh, this guy's Facebook, right? Uh, Ep- Epicurious, Greek philosopher, you know, and, uh, you know, Ep- Epicureanism is very similar philo- phil- philosophically to hedonism. And again, it's this, this idea of, hey, you, you want to find uh, your meaning in, in your fullest self and enjoy life? It's all about pleasure. Personal pleasure. Again, not just sexual. That's not purely what's in view. It's, it's the full gamut, okay? Of just, man... Whatever it's going to make me happy, that's what I'm going to do, right? 
And James is saying, you want to know the chief cause of conflict? That. That philosophy. This attitude of approaching life of me first. Me before we. Right? Well, what's going to make me happy is that's what I need to do, not, not think about what you need or what's going to help you. Right? This self-centered approach, you know, and a lot of writers that, 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 that talk more and more about this, you know, but the, this idea, you know, one writer, this guy, Thomas Howard, he's a Catholic guy who lived, I think, in the 18th century, you know, and he, he says this, this idea of, uh, you can see it there b- below. He says, look, you have two, two, two perspectives on life that go in two very different directions, right? Uh, hell and death or life and heaven. Uh, me before we are, as he says, your life from mine. I mean, I'm going to sacrifice your life in pursuit of my own, right? Or, or, or my life for yours. I'm going to sacrifice self for your good, right? And he says, look, these, these philosophies or these approach uh, puts you in two very different final destinations, but even in life itself, it produces two very different things, right? Uh, you know, one of the analogies that, that he uses to drive this point is that idea of being a parent, and, and specifically a mother, right? A, a mother, you know, ha- has a child, uh, and it's all about uh, giving up her life for that of the child, right? We were having dinner last night with the Skippings and the Percys and Dan and Zaya, and if you know, Dan and Zaya have a Skippings have beautiful kids as well. Eugene, Dan Isaiah's little baby, is just like, you know, a little munch. She came out last week, and I got super distracted because it's just so cute, right? And I was trying to convince Zaya to have more kids, you know, and I was trying to pressure her to have three kids. And, you know, and then Dan caught wind of the conversation. And the look on Dan's face, I literally, I sh- honestly, I should have taken a picture, uh, you know, and used it and put it up on the slide and, because it's that look of, of, of any parents to have a young child. Of just, how, how can you tell me to do this again? <laughs> I'm sacrificing everything. My sleep. My time. All my money. You know, my privacy. You know, I mean, the capacity for a child to know their parent is going to the toilet and then an emergency happened simultaneously, it's, it's uncanny, the ability, you know what I mean? But, but parenthood has this idea of just, it's, it's a parent's life for the child. And this writer, this Thomas, Thomas Howard guy says, look, that's, that's actually, that, that's how life develops. That's how humans develop and flourish and grow in maturity. But, it, but it's the same for all of us, really. Right? We, we all grow and flourish, honestly, when, 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 when we begin to get into relationships with other people or, or even a God that operates by this principle of my life for yours. The selflessness. And, and people flourish in it. And people grow. And you think about even your life personally and maybe times you've, you've really had personal growth spiritually or even just character-wise or career-wise. It's probably a byproduct of someone honestly giving to you consistently sacrificing themselves, their desires for the good of you, and you flourish under it. But there's another way of life. That's me before we. That says, you know what, my convenience is the number one thing that matters. My time, my emotional energy, my finances, none of me, 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 me. Not, Not others. And this is pervasive. You know, and it's not, it's not found. This difference between me before we or we before me is not found in big decisions. It's, it's found in, this guy Thomas Howard says this. He said it's found in a hundred small decisions every day. The small moments of decision. It doesn't happen in sitting here in a church service. It's, it's day to day in your life. Choices, decisions, opportunities or missed opportunities to, to, to adopt one of these two very different philosophies. And we bring, we bring greater conflict and even destruction in our lives a lot of time because we operate in a principle that ultimately finds its end in, in hell. But the irony is we think we're, we're actually going to gain life by it. And James is appealing to us to understand, look, that way of life, it, it causes conflict. There's a major, major cause of conflict. You know, we may look at how James even phrase it there when he says, you know, you desire but then I have so you kill, 
right? And, and he puts kill as an end fruit of it, right? Uh, he puts that before quarrel and fight, which is kind of interesting. You think maybe build up to it, man, but he doesn't, you know. And this other writer, George MacDonald, he, he says of this text, he says, it may be infinitely less evil to murder a man than to refuse to forgive him. The former may be an act of a, mo of a moment of passion. The latter is the heart's choice, a spiritual murder, the worst to hate, to become bitter, a feeling that excludes and kills the image or the idea of the very person with which you hate. Oof. That's an interesting thing to think about. Which is worse? All right. Okay, we've got to think. But where does, it, where does it have a root? What's the cause? It's that of me before we. Self-centered hedonism. It's in the Epic of Gilgamesh, and you better believe it's in Perth. All right? And you've got to see that Christianity is obviously the opposite. My life for yours, as you can see here, from the same writer, Thomas Howard, to say it may mean three seconds of my time to redeem some thoughtless bit of self-indulgence on the part of someone else, or it may mean, or it did mean, Golgotha, where my life for yours was supremely dramatized and entails our eternal joy. It's a very different philosophy. Which one are we adopting? If we take the me before we, we're going to end up in, in heaps of conflict. All right? The cause behind the cause. Pride. <laughs> There's no way of getting around it. There in verse 4, you know, James quotes from, from Proverbs 3, 34. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Uh, Proverbs 3, 34, God mocks the, pro the proud. I mean, that's kind of, a, that's, a, that's an, interesting, that's an interesting, interesting image. God mocking the proud. Pride is, a, is, is, is serious to God, but it's also like, it's, it's so contrary to him. Mocking is an appropriate response to it, right? God opposes the proud, right? It's the cause behind the cause, you know? And there in verse 10, he appeals to us to humble ourselves, which is an assumption that we are proud, right? Again, it's, it, it, you know, elsewhere Proverbs says, like, pride, what causes it's, it's pride uh, that, that breeds conflict. Pride gives birth to conflict, you know? And, and pride's a scary thing, guys. Pride's a scary thing. You know, I, I printed this out. I'll post it up on the Facebook page, right? Uh, Jonathan Edwards, a famous American uh, theologian. I don't know. He, he's not easy read, but his, some, this is actually quite good. And, he, and it's a paper he wrote on undis, undiscerned spiritual pride. And he, he says of it, all right? Bear with me. I'm going to read here a little bit. He says, the first and worst cause of error that prevails in our day is spiritual pride. He says, this is the main door by which the devil comes into the hearts of those who are zealous for the advancement of Christ. It's the chief inlet of smoke from the bottomless pit to darken the mind and mislead the judgment, and the main handle by which Satan takes hold of Christians to hinder a work of God. Until this disease is cured, medicines are applied in vain to heal all other diseases. Right? Now that's illustrations from like, I don't know, 1750s, okay? But still, they're scary, right? They're scary. I mean, it, it's a disease that he says, if you don't treat this, you can try to treat everything else, but that's actually useless. You can try to treat all these other symptoms, but if you're not dealing with pride, it's kind of a useless battle, right? He says the main handle, the main place that Satan would grab a Christian's life to change the trajectory and outcome of all their work. That's scary, it's the inlet of smoke from the bottomless pits of hell. What does that mean? That's scary, you know, and, and, and it is hard. Pride is hard. It's scary. Uh, and, and pride by its very nature is more difficult to discern than anything, any other corruption, right? The Bible talks about, Romans 12 talks about that, that pride is having too high a thought of yourself, right? And, and that very definition should make us pause and make us realize uh, that that that. It can be very difficult for, for, for ourselves to detect it. That's why even the Old Testament talks about pride being a necklace, meaning everyone else can see it, but we can't. 
Because it's this idea of that, that, that because it influences how we think and how we think specifically about ourselves, our ability to pick up that we are being prideful is greatly diminished by the pride itself. Hence the reason why it's so dangerous, you know. But, but even that, you know, and I was talking about that, this concept of pride with someone this week, um, you know, and, and, and pride is, is also difficult because it's defined as that in Romans 12 of, of, of having too high of a viewpoint of yourself. But, but the way it, it appears is, is often very different. It comes out in very different ways, you know. And, and a lot of times when I counsel people about it, I talk about how pride is like a seven-headed dragon, you know. And you, 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 at one stage in your Christian life, recognize a dragon head of pride and you kill it. And then you realize there's six more, you know. And by the time you think you've killed those, the other ones have all, you know, regrown in their back. Uh, you know, but then this week someone gave me a better illustration, which I was fired up about. You know, they said, you know what, I feel like pride is like whack-a-mole. You ever played that game before at, like, timeout, or, you know, you get the big bonker hammer, and the little mole pops its head, and you smash it, and down it goes, and then it pops up, and you paid money to do this, <laughs> to sit there and just pound on this thing that just always keeps coming back. That's kind of how pride is sometimes. It's a bit of a game of whack-a-mole, right? Good illustration, right? I won't say who it is, because I don't want to feel their feel their pride, right? But again, it, it, it's difficult, you know, but we can look at fruits of it. And Jonathan Edwards in his paper, you know, goes through, here's the fruits. Here's the evidences of pride. You know, pride first and foremost, because it thinks too highly of itself, views itself as a great light that needs no other lights to shine on it, so never asks for help. Doesn't, doesn't value instruction of others because it doesn't really think it needs instructions from others. All right? Posture of don't, don't need help. Right? He says that pride is the great fault finder. Pride sees all of other people, all, all, everyone else's sins and everyone else's issues with great clarity, but has a complete obliviousness to their own. Right? That's why when we get in fights with our spouses, we, you know, we see very clearly what the other party has done, but can you know, completely blind. And there's lots of great memes about that. Uh, you know, I, I like the one where it's a married couple fighting, and, and the, I think the woman, maybe the guy, one of them has a nail sticking out of their head. And the guys, or the other one's trying to say, I think it's the nail. And she's like, it's not the nail. Why do you keep talking about the nail? And, you know, it's like, it's like really obvious, but can't see it. But the other person sees it. And that's kind of how pride can be sometimes. We make fault finder, all right? The great fault finder, seeing everyone else's flaws and everyone else's errors. Uh, and, and, and when they do talk to other people in their quest to necessarily help them but usually tear them down uh it's usually done in harshness all right we, i read earlier this week first timothy one where paul talks about that he's the worst of all sinners and then he goes on to say you know that that christ you know that christ jesus has shown him so much mercy uh and displayed his imminent imminent patience with him paul had this viewpoint of man i'm 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 a sinful sinful wreck and, and thank God that, that Jesus is so patient with me. And Paul is therefore very patient with others. Right? But, but, but if pride takes over and, and runs over, well, one, we don't actually think that we have many problems. We think everyone else is the problem. And so then when we do talk to other people trying to help them, it's usually very harsh. It's usually done out of frustration and anger. Right? Not in a way that, that, that produces change of any of any. Uh, 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 of any measurable amount, uh, but rather destruction, tearing down, right, rather than, than building up. Uh, John Edwards goes on to say that, that pride often puts on a pretense. That pride, uh, and you see this even in, in, in the Pharisees in the New Testament very clearly, uh, they like being set apart. They like standing apart. They like being seen as different because that's actually how they think. So when it's outwardly happens, it's good because it confirms inwardly what they were already thinking and they are set apart. They're different than other people. When you think about how different that is even for Paul, right? Paul says when reaching out to the lost world, he doesn't, Paul doesn't uh, try to focus on all the, all the differences. Paul says, I, I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul's mentality basically is, is, is I'll bend and I'll, and I'll submit and... and, and, and uh, even change my approach without sinning, amen, you know, but to the point of, 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 of helping people understand that we're no different. 
But th that's not how pride thinks. We're different. I'm set apart. They're a mess. I I I'm not. So we put on a pretense. Pride is, is often very easily offended, Jonathan Edwards says. Right? If you have a high viewpoint of yourself, which pride does, right? Thinks too highly of themselves. Then, then, then if someone else's viewpoint doesn't measure up to their own viewpoint, then the feelings get hurt. You know, and Timothy Keller in his book, Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, points out the absurdity of that, uh, that, that, you know, how can our feelings be hurt? It's not like an arm that you can break, right? And we should maybe use a different phrase of, of my, my ego was wounded, which maybe gets us closer to the truth, right? Uh, you know, and... and, and it, it, it's, you know, in some sense, it's, you know, the, the phrase is, it's, you can't humiliate a humble person because they actually don't think of themselves very highly at all. And so any, any sledges or, or, or disparaging comments do you make about it, they don't, they're not really fussed by it because they don't, they don't necessarily even actually disagree with you, right? You know, but, but this idea of, man, we get a, we, if you find yourself getting offended a lot or feeling disrespected or feel like, man, not being recognized enough, well, the pride, right? pride right taking offense easily you know making presumptions uh before god and man you know this feeling of of uh you know assuming that that i should be recognized assuming that someone should praise me for what i did right not the mentality of a servant that does it just because well i'm a servant that's what i do right but but doing things and then needing to be recognized for those things you've done right needing to have the the, the, the praise of, of 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 people right uh, pride causes us to be hunger, hunger for the center of attention, right? Again, uh, it, it, it's just it's exhausting, right? It's this seven-headed dragon, right? Hunger for attention of, and we see this in, in conversations uh, where, where uh, you know, the, the person is not listening. They're simply waiting for you to stop talking so they can shift the focus of the conversation back onto themselves, they rarely, if ever, will ask a question of you because they don't actually really care about you. Uh, and if they do ask you a question, it's merely to get you to see something else about themselves that they're trying to work around and highlight. And if they're in a group and someone else has attention, they'll do things that try to draw more attention. Right? Again, it's, and, and, and what is it? It's the ego. It's the pride. It's the cause behind the cause of the whole things. You know, and pride often, almost, you know, almost all the time, uh, if left unchecked, le leads to isolation. That's why Jeremiah 17, you know, puts this stark, stark contrast between a tree planted by a stream of living water and, and a bush in the wasteland. And he says at the core of the two of, the, of these pictures of a tree planted by streams, going through times of drought, going through hard times, always bearing fruit, leaves always green, healthy as can be. Why? Because it trusts in God. And so no matter what happens in life, there's steadfastness. But the bush of Jeremiah 17, that's in a salt land where nothing else lives, is stunted in its growth, all alone, not green, not life, no fruit, because at the core it trusts in self. And Jeremiah says, that way of life is cursed. It's not going to produce life. And we've got to see that James is saying, look, underneath conflicts, the cause beneath the cause is, is, is guys, it's always pride. But remember, this can actually be good. Because pride by, it nature, by its very nature blinds us. And so when we hang out with one another, we end up in conflict, we have glimpses. We have moments of opportunity to see our pride clearly, visibly, tangibly. And, and we've got to be careful because again, it's a seven-headed dragon. And, and, and we see it in a moment. We have that glimpse. And then immediately, and I guarantee a lot of us probably had that, even as I went through this list, is, is you have a glimpse and you think, oh, yeah, no, I did do that. But then another voice comes in and says, yeah, but you know what? This, this, this. <laughs> and it's gone just like that. Yeah. Because pride will protect itself at all costs. Because pride, at its core, cares only about self and trusts only in self. Right? Again, gotta, don't, don't hide from it. When we get in conflict, use the opportunity to see ourselves clearly. Amen? You guys still with me? Yeah. All right. The worst is over, okay? Positives. Okay, so, so we, we know that hedonism 
which goes back to the epic of Gilgamesh all the way to now in Perth, right? This me before we mentality, even deeper behind that is pride, which is just self-centered and, and self-reliant. That, that's the problem. That's the cause of all conflicts. Well, how, how do we cure? How, how does James go about trying to help us to, to figure this out? And, 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 and again, it's pervasive, the, the problem, right? I mean, he talks about there in verse 3. We didn't touch on it that much, but just very briefly, right? He talks about how it corrupts everything, right? Even your prayers. Even your prayers. That even your prayers become twisted and become about self-serving, right? But then he shifts gears in a way. He shifts gears very interesting. He says, you adulterous people. Right, and if you're reading like ESV or maybe King James version or a more literal, uh, you know, translation of the Bible, uh, it says, "You adulteresses." So he calls us all women, all of us, men and women. He's talking to the whole church, and he says, "Look, you all, all are, are adulterous when you do this." That's very interesting what he's doing. He's calling them all male and female. You know, James is, is forcing us to do something here. And even more in conf confusing verse 5, which is entire books, I think, written about verse 5, you know, where he says, Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit, it, he, the, for the spirit he caused to dwell in us? You know, and there's lots of different theories on it. Even your Bible if it has footnotes. You can see the footnotes, right, or that the Spirit he caused to dwell in us envies intensely, or that the Spirit, capital S, Yes, so not talking about your spirit or your soul, but the Holy Spirit that he calls to dwell in us longs jealously. Uh, both that and the previous verse, which is where we're all called adulteresses, are forcing us to look at our relationship with God differently. He wants us to see our relationship with God and how God sees it in that... that it's, it's that image that Mike Fontenot preached about a couple weeks ago, if you were here, when he talked about the church and how uh, the, the church is meant to be the bride of Christ. And he says, you know, because pride is, at its core, its chief love is self. Its chief love is self. And one of the first times for most people in life where we really actually begin to have a love that is not self-centered, it's that in marriage. And he's saying, look, you, you, when you adopt that prideful mentality, you become like an adulteress. You, you, are, you are married to Christ. <laughs> you, as part of his church, man, you're, you're in a loving marriage with God. And, and, and you wound his heart. It's, when you choose the path of pride, when you choose that way, that's you cheating on God. And that's a deep wound, you know, even to the point that, you know, again, translators trying to figure out, well, is he saying that God is jealous and envy? Because previously that wasn't positive things, but it's that idea of just a deep love that feels spurned, right? And, and, and the image is that, man, God loves, he longs for our love. You know, I was talking with Allie, my 11-year-old, uh, the other week, you know, she's been reading the Old Testament, and uh, she mocked Michelle and I because we named our son Jacob. Because she discovered that means liar. <laughs> I was like, no, touche, fair point. We didn't think overly deep about that. You know, but Jacob becomes, uh, he is a liar. And not, well, our son, yeah, he is as well. Already at five, you know, but <laughs> Jacob becomes Israel. And so Allie and I were talking about, and I asked Allie, you know, what does is, what is Israel means? And she's pretty I don't know, smarter than I was at her age for sure. She's like, oh, you know, like wrestles with God. And I said, why would God name his people Israel? She's like, because you you, she even picked up on it. You read the Bible, and they're constantly turning from God. And he's constantly chasing after them. Like a, like a lover that's been rejected. And he'll even make one of his prophets go marry a prostitute. And which, you know, against the Old Testament law, you know, for him to take a prostitute, that's a no-no. And then he married that prostitute, send her away, you know, she leaves uh, goes with another man, and God says, take her back again, which is a violation of his own commandments and, and, and God's own commandments. And, and what's God's point? He said, that's the nation of me and my people. But what's God's other point? Is I'm willing to break my own law, in a sense, to have a relationship with you. I'm willing to go to that extent. God made him who had no sin so that we can be in relationship with him. That man, God loves us. 
And the purity of that love should, should pull us away from love for self. It should draw us away. You know, but we got to see it that way, you know, because that is how God wants to see it. You know, Ephesians 5, as we talked about that great passage on, on marriage, is really about church, you know. And you, and you think about weddings, you know, not Dave and Franz, you sit on the opposite side of the rooms right now, you know, but, but back when they were in love. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, just kidding. I'm joking, right? But you do, you, you think, this picture of two, right? And, and we love Dave and Franz, they're awesome. But, right, they're just like all of us, though self-centered we all are that way but 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 in marriage you begin to get this this glimpse of a selfless love of two individuals deciding not not just me but i want to be we and god says that you that's the image i want you to think about when you think about me and me and you that's what god says that's how i want you to see you want to battle pride you want to battle selfishness understand this is how it works guys tremendous love you know, and to think that, that you can have this, but then not have love horizontally, that's kind of what that last random part is where he goes back to talk about slander and kind of draws the whole sections together, right? You know, he says, look, you, you slander, you know, your brother and sister. What are you doing? You're breaking the law. And you're not the lawgiver. And so when you, when you begin to do that, when you begin to, to battle horizontally, you've got to actually think who you're picking a fight with. That that's actually your battle. So take your eyes off the other person and put your eyes on God. And then when you put your eyes on God, what do you discover? Well, he's not at fault. <laughs> There's things in me that I need to change. All right? And the basis for that growth is that of selfless love. Again, that should motivate us and compel us. You know, lastly, all right? Not sure how we're doing on time, right? But verse 10, he says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Okay, so do the opposite of pride. Take Jonathan Edwards' list and, and just flip it. Flip it on this other side, right? And, and, and we essentially did this, by the way, when we went through uh, the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Right? If you weren't with us for Ruth, uh, they're recorded online on the website. Go, 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 go listen to them. Go, go pick up uh, the book of Ruth and read it. It's, it's a picture of community and specific members within that community, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, Choosing the way of humility, right? Not thinking of themselves less, or not thinking less of themselves, which is false humility, but thinking of themselves less. Not thinking of me first, but rather thinking of others first, right? And, and, and that's a powerful, powerful picture, and that's the way God wants us to operate. You know, Timothy Keller calls this the upside-down principle of the universe, I mean, this is, this is what runs through, runs through all of Christian teaching, right? You lose your life, you find life, you save your life, right? When, when you choose to, to, to be like a kernel of wheat and you fall to the ground and die, you produce more life, right? And, and this upside-down principle of, hey, when I stop uh, living life thinking my needs first and instead uh, become like a drink offering poured out for everyone else, he says, that's actually how you end up filled. So I end up filled and satisfied, not by me just looking after me and guarding and protecting me and my convenience and my comfort and my time and my energy. No, 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 pour out. And he says, that's how you end up filled up. But we've got to understand that's God's way. You know, and this is rooted, rooted in very creation. That's what Timothy Keller's driving at. This is, this is the principle, not just in the Bible of, of relationships, but this is how... The world works, you know, and C.S. Lewis, you know, writes, he says, in self-giving love, right, we touch a rhythm not only of, of, of all creation, but of all being, uh, you know, and we, I talked about this in Sydney when I preached there, you know, but I don't think we got to it, uh, but this Greek word, perichoresis, right, which, you know, has at its core the word, uh, the same root of choreography, right, and so when Pansy danced at our uh, at our talent show, you know, she had spent a lot of time uh, choreographing, right? Uh, professionally, had a professional court. No, she didn't. But, 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 the, what's the idea of, of choreography? It's, it's people dancing, dancing around together, in unison, right? And so the early church used this to to describe uh, describe God, right? And that's why even some of the images of tr of Trinity. 
uh, often have this picture, right? And, and it's this idea, you know, graphically d- that if you're self-centered, you're stationary, you're static, right? Because self-centeredness demands that others revolve around us, right? We will do things and give love to others as long as it helps us. But, but God operates on a different principle. Right? The inner life of God is char- characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. And again, this was, if you remember back to Ruth, Bio- Boaz, and Naomi, there, there's chapters in the middle of that very short book, two, four-chapter book, the, the two middle chapters. There's this beautiful picture of each one of them not thinking about themselves, but solely focused on the other person's needs. And in the end, all their needs are met. But that's, that's kind of God, <laughs> You see that in the New Testament, right? Uh, you know, the, the father, uh, as the son's getting baptized, the father says, this is my son, and hit, with him I am well pleased. Yeah. Right? He's lifting up the son. But then the son opens his mouth, and who's the son always lifting up? God. God right? And, and then Jesus, even at the end, uh, of, as, as his crucifixion approaches, he's telling the disciples, guys, you're actually better off than I'm going away, because when I go away, then I'm going to send the advocate. And that's a shocking concept to think, man, you've been walking around with Jesus for three years now, uh, you know, and he pays our taxes by fishing, uh, pulling coins out of fish's mouth. You know, he feeds us by just multiplying, you know, loaves and, and bread. Uh, this is kind of cool. Even if we die, man, Lazarus, he resurrects, though he did let Lazarus die. But that was difficult, but we worked through that. But you think about how the joy they would have had of just three years with Jesus. And then he's like, hey, you're better off, actually, with the Spirit. The Father, glorifying, lifting up, highlighting, orbiting around the Son, saying He's awesome. The Son, orbiting around the Father, saying He's awesome. Uh, and then Jesus, talking about the Spirit, saying He's, he's way, you're way better off with Him. And then when He says, hey, what's the Spirit going to do? Well, the Spirit's always going to remind you about me. And, and this picture of them all together in this self-giving, right? And we, we worship a triune God, right? Uh, a, a God that has plurality in him, but yet he's one, which is a difficult concept to grasp, you know, but, but it's a picture of community. And they're not in conflict with one another. They know harmony. And before us, before mankind, there was harmony. It was paradise. I mean, this image of, of Genesis 2, I mean, just, man, life is good. But then we think we know a better way. That's mankind, right? And Adam and Eve are instantly turned on one another and trying to play hide-and-go-seek with an omniscient God. Blame-shifting, seeing the other's fault, not their own. Cain and Abel, murdering. Cain's offspring, Lamech, killing a young child for scratching it. Cycle of what? Conflict. To the point of Genesis 6 where man, God's grieved because he looks at the earth and what does he see? Every inclination of man's heart is evil all the time as they're ripping apart each other. Right? God w- wipes them away and starts over with Noah. Noah builds a vineyard, uh, gets drunk. What's the point? It's not everything out there the problem. There's something deeper. And what's the something deeper? What's the next major story in the Genesis narrative? It's that of building of the Tower of Babel. Hey, let's by our own effort and ingenuity uh, and unity uh, build build all the way up to God. Of course, God has to look down on it and then come down to even see it because he's a lot greater than us, and he scatters them. Their pursuit of greatness was all about self. And instead, he says, hey, I'll take this guy Abraham, and I'll make him great. I'll make him a father of nations. He has no kids. There's nothing special about him. God's trying to show us that there's a different way. And, and the way to, to really find life and, and, and greatness like they pursued in Babel is that of the way of Abraham, which is simply just obedience. Follow God's way even when it makes no sense. Trust in him and walk with him by faith. And choose his way, though it is counterintuitive, right? Give up my own needs and look after everyone else's needs. Pour out my own life because that's how somehow I'm going to end up filled. Again, it's a different way, but man, when it's done, we find the very heartbeat of God. That's what C.S. Lewis is writing. You know, I encourage you today as, as, as you, you know, lay in your bed and go to, go to sleep, think through the last time you had an argument with somebody. Think through the last time you had a fight and a quarrel. 
And think, you know, the question that God asked Cain, why are you angry? And use that conflict. Use it to see yourself clearer, to, to see that whack-a-mole pride with greater clarity. Right? Now, now, don't just whack it, though, right? Think deeper about it. And think deeper about how God's love changes. Whatever that deeper desire or, or longing that you felt, God has a deeper cure for it. Does that make sense? That God has a way that actually satisfies it. Because our ways of satisfying it will never deliver. They'll never satisfy it. Because our ways are, are, are like, you know, they're, they're lures. They're fake imitations. They're not going to quench that hunger. But instead, let's, let's look to God's love in His, in His way. Amen? Amen? Let's have a prayer, and then we'll stand and sing one final song. Father, we, uh, you know, we thank you that you haven't just told us of a better way, but you've showed us a better way. That you've laid down your life, you know, choosing us rather than, than yourself. But in that, God, you, you have shown us the, the pattern of how to live a resurrected life, how to live a life that is truly, you know, a new creation, Father, a new way, God. And God, we know that if we as a people can begin to grasp that, God, and, and implement that, that, that we can you know, have a love that, 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 the, that the world looks at and is confused by. That we can have a, a unity that is a powerful witness that, that you are at work among us, God, uh, because it's such a different way of life, God. And we pray you help us in that, God. We, we pray that, that you, you know, the next time we're in conflict with one another or, you know, our spouse or our kids or coworkers or boss or neighbor or, you know, whoever we manage to end up in conflict with, God, that, that your spirit convicts us, God, and helps us choose a different path, God. That instead of seeing just the other person's flaws, God, that we can choose to see our own. Instead of choosing the, the way of pride and blinding ourselves, God, and deceiving ourselves, that we can use that as a, as a glimpse, as an opportunity to, to see those deeper desires in our heart, God, that, that we're trying to fulfill in a way that's contrary to your will, God. And give us the, the strength and the courage, Father, ultimately to choose your path, Help us to be compelled and motivated, even controlled by your love along the way, God. Again, we, we thank you so, so, so much for James. Uh, the painful bluntness, God, but, but one we definitely uh, desperately need. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.